Good morning, everybody. Hey, I want to say it's great to see all of you brave souls that came out during this bad weather today, but uh, it is wonderful that we're all here together, and uh, can you feel it in the air? I'm not talking about the rain and the cold. Can you feel it in the air? As that day is approaching, the countdown has begun uh, as we quickly move toward Christmas Day and the celebration of the birth of Christ. We are in the middle of this sermon series where we are uh, discovering the heart of Christmas. And you know, it can be easy to get lost in all of the gifts and all of the decorations and parties and miss the central focus of Christmas. Though Jesus was probably not born on December 25th, and we all realize that, we actually don't know when he was born But he was born to bring the gifts of hope and peace and joy and love. And that is the real reason for the season. And more than the day, we celebrate what the day represents. In our series, we've been trying to get to the heart of Christmas. The first week, Michael Pittman shared with us that we are offered hope in the middle of our circumstances because of God's faithfulness. Last week, we looked at the wonderful gift of peace that Jesus' sacrifice makes available to us. We are made right with God and with ourselves and with others because of Jesus. And this week, I want to introduce to you one more piece of the heart of Christmas And if you hadn't figured that out yet, it is joy. To begin our discussion today, I want to share a few different scenarios with you. And um, I want you to tell me which of these would bring you joy. So when I share it, if it would bring you joy, I want you to stand up and say, yeah. If it wouldn't bring you joy, just stay seated. All right. Now. If you can't physically stand up and shout, yeah, raise your hand and say, yeah, right? Okay. So are you ready? Different scenarios. If this would make you joyful, stand up and shout it out, okay? Here's the first one. You go through to your favorite coffee shop. You order your favorite drink. And when you get to the window... They say, the car in front of you paid for your drink. Joy or no joy? Come on, you people, you people got to wake up this morning. Come on. I'm going to give you another chance. Joy or no joy? Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Second one. You wake up on Christmas morning and you find out that it snowed four inches overnight. Joy or no joy? Wow, see, some of you are more snow lovers than coffee lovers, I see. Now, for, for, for some of us, it's no joy because we're thinking about the pain of shoveling that snow out of the way. Last one, your kids give you this wish list, right? How many of y'all have wish lists that you deal with at the house? Okay, and, and a lot of years, you, you hadn't been able to really do a lot on the wish list. But this year, some good things happen. You're able to get everything your kids want on the wish list. Joy or no joy? Joy. 
All right, I'm going to give the kids this one. Uh, you get everything on the wish list. Joy or no joy? <laughs> now, maybe some of you saw these situations as reasons for joy. So let me ask you, what happens when the situation turns against us? Let's go back to those scenarios. What if the person ahead of you, instead of paying for your drink, told the cashier that you were going to pay for their drink? <laughs> or what if you wake up Christmas morning, and it's not four inches of snow on the ground, it's 24 inches of snow on the ground. Now see, for some of y'all, I think you would still be excited. But what if the power was out and trees had fallen on your house? Different scenario. What if you can't get your children anything that's on their wish list? What if they act disappointed in what, what you can afford to get to them? Can you still find joy in those circumstances? Now, this week's sermon is so important because for many of us, our joy is reflective of our situations. Our joy in life can largely be connected to the circumstances of our lives. And so if things aren't going well, we may feel poorly or feel bad. If things are going good, then we can feel good. We can have joy. Our joy ebbs and flows. Some people have tried to make a delineation between happiness and joy. Where joy isn't dependent upon our circumstances. It's a deep down joy. Where happiness is more here today, gone tomorrow, depending on the circumstances. But I believe one aspect of the heart of Christmas is that Jesus came so that our joy would not have to fluctuate with our environment. But we could remain steady as we fix our eyes and our heart on Jesus. And so here is our big idea for today. Jesus offers a joy that is ours no matter the circumstances or situations we face. And friends, that is good news. The circumstances of life have a way of robbing us of joy. Disappointment, frustration, and loss can suck the very life out of us. However, Jesus' birth reminds us that no matter how hard life is, we don't have to go through it alone. And there is a light at the end of that tunnel. God has come to us full of grace and full of truth that we should have and experience joy. We can trust that Jesus' presence with us will reveal the truth about our lives and at the same time offer us the grace to see things change. <laughs> that gives me so much joy! Praise God for cell phones. <laughs> it's time to pray. 
Thank you, Lord. <coughs> Dear Heavenly Father, overwhelm us with your joy this Christmas season. Show us the meaning and the purpose of true joy as we look to the birth of Christ with eager eyes. Let our joy be contagious to those around us. Light us up with your love and your grace and truth and, of course, your joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, let's consider the joy that God offers to us this morning. First thing I want to remind you of is that we can have joy because God came to us. That's so important. Think about the folks in the original Christmas story. Each one of them could have gone a whole different route. You know, when Mary received the news of this impending birth of Jesus, she was dismayed. She didn't really know what to make of it. She knew she had never been with a man. So how could this be true? She also knew that in her culture, a woman who was pregnant outside of marriage was going to have a hard time. It would be shameful. It would be a disgrace, not only to her, but to her entire family. We can only imagine that this would create the opposite of joy for her initially. But eventually she would come to rejoice in God's plan. In fact, she would go to see her cousin Elizabeth, who also was six months pregnant at the time. And when she saw Elizabeth, Elizabeth said that uh, her baby leapt in her womb. Uh, and, and Mary, Luke 1, 46 and 47, said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Yes, she had come to the place where she could rejoice in God's plan and not be worried about it. And as she got, saw God's handiwork and God's plan coming about, she treasured this new child. And uh, we, we know that soon after Jesus was born and they took him to the temple to be circumcised and she began seeing all the things and the shepherds came and all these things were happening in Luke 2.19. We read, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them <clears throat> in her heart. I can only imagine the joy that she felt as she realized God was using her for this wonderful purpose. But we have to admit that though the circumstances may seem dire and the outcomes uncertain, knowing that God is with us can make all the difference. I'm going to be honest with you this morning. Not, not, not that I've been lying so far, okay? <laughs> I don't know why we say that, you know, just, to, just think people, you're going to be honest, okay? But this is a very, very difficult Christmas for me. It's the first one I've had without my mother. And so I've, I've had a hard time getting into the Christmas spirit. And I know that there are others in the room who have experienced loss and they've had the same struggle. But I want to tell you this. 
It's not that my joy has been stripped from me because ultimately I know that I'm going to see my mother again. And when I do, my laughter will turn, or my mourning is going to turn to laughter as we are all reunited. That is a wonderful promise of God. You know, as John began his gospel letter, he gave a different perspective on the birth of Jesus. Rather than tell us about the shepherds and the magi and the manger, he gave us a big picture explanation of what took place in Bethlehem. What John wrote is a cause for joy no matter what we face in life. In John 1, 14, we read, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. What John described is known as the incarnation. Coming from the Latin word carne, which means flesh, the incarnation was God putting skin on and becoming one of us. Verse 14 says, the Word became flesh. <coughs> the Word is capitalized because it is speaking of the person of Jesus Christ. He is called the Word because He perfectly embodies all of the Scripture in human flesh by the way He lived on earth. And not just that, because it was His spoken Word that brought about the creation of mankind. And it is by His Word that we are sustained every day. When the Bible describes Jesus as the Word, friends, there is power in that word. When Jesus was born in the manger, he was God coming to live among us as one of us with skin and bone, flesh and blood. This passage gives us two reasons for a joy that does not have to change with the seasons or shift with our situations. It can be constant in our lives and a grounding attitude in the face of all that the world is throwing at us. A common misconception people carry around with them is that to be reunited with God in a right relationship, we must work super hard to be perfect or strive to make our way to Him. And sometimes we get caught up in this idea that we have to be good enough before we can have relationship with Jesus. And friends, one of the greatest joy robbers in our lives is thinking we could ever be good enough. We can't. And the other joy robber is this, thinking that we can never be good enough so we can't measure up, so we can never have that relationship. So many people think grace isn't meant for them because they've done so many bad, horrible things. Yes, we are broken and flawed people who have hurt others and we've made mistakes and we live selfish lives. And if we're relying on our own abilities to earn a connection with God, we will always be disappointed. I read a story from the Discipleship Journal 
Paul Thigpen wrote about an encounter with his daughter. As I read this, I want you to just think as a parent, if you've ever had this kind of scenario happen. He writes, I remember coming home one afternoon, <coughs> excuse me, to discover that the kitchen I had worked so hard to clean only a few hours before was now a terrible wreck. Anybody here? My young daughter had obviously been busy cooking, and the ingredients were scattered along with dirty bowls and utensils across the counters and floor. I was not happy with the situation. And then as I looked a, a little more closely at the mess, I spied a tiny note on the table, clumsily written and smeared with chocolatey fingerprints. The message was short. I'm making, M-A-K-I-N, something for the number you, Dad. And it was signed, Your Angel. So in the midst of that disarray and mess, and despite my irritation, joy suddenly sprang up in my heart, sweet and pure. My attention had been redirected from the problem to the little girl I loved. As I encountered her in that brief note, I delighted in her. With her simple goodness and focus, I could take pleasure in seeing her hand at work in the situation that seemed otherwise disastrous. Now imagine some of us as parents have had some similar stories. I don't know if we saw the same thing he saw, but uh, I think the same can be true of our joy in God. Many times life can look like a messy disaster from our perspective. It can be hard for us to find a reason for joy in our circumstances. However, if we look closely, we might see God coming near to us like he did that first Christmas night to let us know that he is making something special for us, making something of our lives when we are tempted to feel hopeless. Joy is at the heart of Christmas because knowing that we could never make it to him, God came to us. Christianity is the only religion in the world where the deity does what is necessary to unite with humanity. Paul emphatically makes this statement in the book of Romans as he insists we can be saved through Jesus. In Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For Paul, there is not a naughty list and a good list that we have to work hard to escape or earn. The gift of God's grace is offered to us generously without price because we could never afford it on our own. And while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And this is why the characters of the Christmas story are so overjoyed. From the shepherds in the field to Simeon at the temple, because the long-awaited arrival of the Messiah meant God had finally come to rescue us. 
And the second reason joy can be a constant reality for us is because God loves us and is committed to our transformation through his power. Which brings us to our second thought. God loves us just as we are, that's true, and too much to leave us that way. And I think this is an important thing to understand. I've talked with people before who demand that if I say I love them, that I must accept and even support their lifestyle choices. I once heard a preacher say that it's impossible to say I love the sinner, but I hate the sin. He, he said that's, you can't love the sinner and hate the sin. Man, I totally disagree with that. I believe that's exactly what God has done. He hates the sin and what it does to the sinner. But he loves the sinner. He loves us even though we are sinners, right? Christ died for us when we were sinners. But God does not approve of our sin. So if we approve of a person's sin in order to help them feel loved, friends, we are mocking the cross of Christ. Jesus gave his life to save people from sin, not so that people would feel comfortable in their sin. Do you see the difference? Rather than godly love accepting sin, Scripture teaches us that God's love exposes sin. He reveals what needs to be changed so that we can repent of that sin and come into a right relationship with him. Jesus came into this world to reveal light in a dark place. The sin people choose to live in is darkness. And there's no way that loving a person means that we support the darkness they're living in. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus came so we could see the glory and the fullness of God. His arrival among us should fill us with joy because not only did God come close to us, but he came because he loves us in spite of our sin and in spite of our darkness. He came to rescue us from all that. Do you realize that you are loved by God? Not just tolerated or put up with, but you are loved, deeply loved. In fact, John says this love that God has for us is like that of a father for his children. Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. And this is key to understanding our second reason for abiding joy. When Jesus came to us, he came full of grace. That grace that John writes about is the Greek word charis, which means favor or kindness uh, or a gift of blessing. Like a wrapped gift shared from one to another can bring joy to our hearts. So this gift of Jesus is grace from God. We haven't earned it. In fact, we can't earn it. We don't deserve it. 
But God offers it to us, and when we recognize it, it fills us with joy. Grace leads to joy. God loves us just the way we are, yes. But He also loves us so much that He doesn't want us to stay that way. Jesus not only came full of grace, but He came full of truth. The word John uses here for the word truth, aletheia, means divine reality revealed to man. It's interesting to me how everybody wants to claim their truth. My truth and your truth. Two plus two equals ten. Right? It doesn't make sense. But God does have a truth. And people need to know it. Jesus holds grace in one hand that allows us to be accepted into his family. And in the other, he holds truth that shows us the areas of our lives that must be transformed to live the fullest life possible. The book of 1 John expounds upon that idea. In 1 John 4, 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. The author insists the reason Jesus came to us and manifested his love among us is because he desires for us to live in Christ and find incredible joy in him. In order for that to happen, it requires the gift of truth and grace. It's the most loving thing to do for another, to embrace with full acceptance and also humble truth telling. Let me share a little parable with you. It's not one of Jesus' parables. But a man is on his daily walk when he comes by his child who's been playing in a ditch. This is when people used to walk, okay? Now he has told that child time and time and time again, do not play in this ditch because it could be dangerous. And especially on a day like today, storm clouds are coming. Heavy rains are coming. Soon the ditch will be filled with water. The father sees the child is stuck in the mud. He can't get out of the ditch by himself. If, if he doesn't do something, the child will definitely drown when the rain comes. The father loves the child with all of his heart. Even though that child has disobeyed him, he still loves him. And even though his child is muddy and nasty all over, over, the father still loves the child. The child has happily been playing in the ditch, oblivious to his situation. In his mind, if the father truly loved him, he would support his playing in the ditch because that's what he wants to do and that's what makes him happy. But the father sees the dangers that are coming let me ask you a question. Does the father do all he can to help the child get out of that ditch before the rain comes? Or does the father think to himself, my child wants to play in that ditch. My child is having fun in that ditch. My child thinks that love means that I need to support him playing in that ditch. So I want my child to feel like I love him 
And so I will let him stay in that ditch, and I will not criticize him for being in the ditch. Does that make any sense at all? No. God wants to pull us out of the ditch and clean us up. That's called grace, but it's also truth. We might not even have enough wisdom to see why we need it. But eventually we will see that joy is a result of grace. You know, grace is a word that shows up in the church a lot, but it's because it's the way in which we're able to live with joy. As a pastor, I feel like I can identify with these passages and how grace and truth lead to joy. For instance, I met a, a young man this week who can speak about the impact of grace on joy. And I asked his permission to share this story, and he gave me the, his permission. And in fact, I even went over what I wanted to say, and he corrected parts, and he approved of what I'm sharing today. So I'm not sharing something that is supposed to be secret. But this young man's name is Blake, and he grew up in a Christian home. His dad was a preacher. He felt led by God to go into ministry. He went on to college to get a Bible degree, and eventually he would become the intern pastor or interim pastor of a church in a hosky. He would go on to become a children's pastor of another church, and he would marry his beautiful girlfriend, and all should have been right. But something wasn't right. Something in his heart was missing. When he was 19, he started drinking after an influential man in his life passed away. And other folks that knew that man invited him to join them in drinking. And eventually that led to an addiction and he also began smoking marijuana and he felt he needed this to relax. His family started noticing and they became concerned about him. And about the same time, doctors prescribed him Adderall. Together with the drinking, he went deeper down into a dark hole, into a dark ditch. And all of this was happening as he was working in the ministry. He was living a double life. So one day about noon, he was under the influence and he was driving and he caused a wreck. And an elderly lady was injured in that wreck and she was taken to the hospital. Eventually, they would move her to a nursing home so that she could recover. The wreck was sort of a wake-up call for him. He promised God that he would never drink again. But you know, those foxhole promises... Once you get out of the foxhole, you forget the promise, right? Something horrible happened. The elderly lady had to go back into the hospital as a result of the complications she had from the injuries from the wreck. And she would die. And now he had the guilt of her death and also facing felony death by motor vehicle charges from the state. The news of all this truly messed him up. 
And so because he was in depression, the doctors prescribed he couldn't sleep and they, they gave him Ambien and he started drinking again. He did go to a, a rehab, but he, he realized that he was in this ditch that he couldn't get out of himself. He would eventually plead guilty to the charges because he was guilty and he took responsibility for that. And he would be convicted and he would be sentenced to five years in prison. His life was in shatters. He, he was drowning in that ditch. And at that moment, God gave him a moment of clarity. He realized the pain he had caused everyone, himself, his family, the family of the elderly lady, uh, especially his wife. In his prayer, he told God that he was quitting himself and he was going to follow God no matter what it took. His wife and his family were there to help him. They and others shared the gospel with him, continued to pray with him and work with him through the prison time. And through it all, he rediscovered God's grace and he fell in love with the scriptures. He does have regrets. Nothing can take back the day that he got in that car. But God has not abandoned him. He did tell me that he got in trouble one time while he was in prison. They took a dumpster and they made a baptistry out of it. And he was baptizing people. And the prison wrote him up for messing with the dumpster. That's the only time he got in trouble. Which I was thinking, man, that's a badge of honor right there. Today he's out of prison. His faithful wife is pregnant with their first child. He's doing all he can to tell others about the grace of God. There are days when he thought he would never experience joy again. But God's grace has enabled him to rediscover true joy. And I'm sure that there are some people who would never forgive him for the mistakes and the bad not just mistakes, but bad decisions that he made in life. But friends, aren't we all there in a way? If not but for the grace of God, where would any of us be? Where would any of us be if Jesus hadn't come? Our Heavenly Father sent Jesus to a manger in Bethlehem because he wanted to dwell among us to demonstrate his amazing grace and life-changing truth. We can experience joy in our lives no matter the circumstances because we can be confident in knowing that God is with us and God is for us. And friends, if God is for us, who can stand against us? Though we have failed Him, He has never failed us. Though we have rejected Him, He has welcomed us. Though we have sinned, He has chosen to save. And when I think of all that God has done for me, I don't know about you, but I'm filled with joy. And a spirit filled with joy is contagious. The late pastor Charles Spurgeon said it this way, There is a marvelous medicinal power in joy. 
Most medicines are distasteful. But this, which is the best of all medicines, is sweet to the taste and comforting to the heart. This blessed joy is very contagious. One dolorous spirit brings a kind of plague into the house. One person who is wretched seems to stop all the birds from singing wherever he goes. But the grace of joy is contagious. Holy joy will oil the wheels of your life's machinery. Holy joy will strengthen you for your daily labor. Holy joy will beautify you and give you an influence over the lives of others. So this Christmas, may you come to find at the heart of this holiday season a deep and abiding joy because of the love of God and the sacrifice of Jesus. It holds the power to change us and also to change the world. I hope and pray that you discover that joy is in the heart of Christmas. Father, we are humbled by your grace. It brings us joy. It gives us hope. The psalmist wrote, We are like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. We thank you, Father, because those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. We praise you, Lord, because those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with Songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. You have done this, Father. It is all possible through Jesus who gives us the hope that this life is not all there is. And no matter what we go through in life, we can have this abiding joy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.